0: Where I wanted to begin is in Genesis, the first chapter, and it's familiar and you don't even have to turn there. We're not staying there, but I wanted to notice this in Genesis, the first two verses. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Years ago, I, I was studying those verses and uh, especially was, uh, noticed the move, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And it gives the picture, Strong's does, of brooding over. And in Deuteronomy 32, it uses the same word and translates it fluttereth in the King James. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. The... uh, the new king james says and the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the waters and the picture that that i have in my mind of this is god almighty which we don't know how to picture that but that god is hovering over brooding over an earth that was void and unformed and empty and lifeless And God was focused on this earth, concentrating on this lonely planet and his plans for this place, including its future inhabitants. And we know the creation story, how God spoke and light and atmosphere and dry land and grass and trees and sun and moon and stars and fish and fowl and all the animals instantly came into being when he spoke. The scriptures make a special point to describe the creation of man in the second chapter of Genesis. God shaping from dirt the form of a man and breathing into him life. And when creation was complete, And the earth was traveling around the sun and slowly spinning through day and night and day and night. And the air and the ocean currents were moving and the grass and the flowers and the trees were green and growing. And the creatures were swimming and wriggling and flying or walking. And God was satisfied. And God said, it is very good. It was very good. And God, we know, had prepared a wonderful paradise for Adam and Eve. The Garden of Eden. And God had sweet fellowship there with with Adam and Eve. It was perfect fellowship between God and man. They didn't sing God is so good because the song hadn't been written, but they understood that. They knew that. And neither did they sing what a friend we have in Jesus. But they knew that. They would say amen to that. They didn't sing amazing grace either because there was no sin to be forgiven. And then came the fall And we know that story. And and this is the shocking thing that uh, is so tragic about that story that from a clear understanding of the greatness of God, like we were talking about this morning, and the perfect goodness of God and His love for man, it went from that understanding to a doubt planted by the serpent. And that grew into a suspicion that resulted in a sinful choice and the terrible consequences that came with that. And by the time of the flood, in Genesis chapter 6, this is how it describes man's thoughts of God. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. I'm sorry, this is what God saw on the earth. That every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So these wicked people, uh, their thoughts of God were very, very different from Adam and Eve's, even after the fall. This past Wednesday night in the men's group, Uh, Paul read to us from the first three chapters of Romans. And in the first chapter, there's a couple of verses that describe man's thoughts about God and how they changed in verse 21, uh, beginning in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Though they understood who God was, knew something about God, they didn't worship him. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Just like we saw in our lesson from Isaiah 40 this morning. And God gave them up to uncleanness. And they dishonored their bodies between themselves. And verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So what happened in the garden and what happened with man afterwards, till the time of the flood. And what has happened in the history of man ever since is that in wicked environments, the truth of who God is, is grossly corrupted and is lost. And hearts are darkened. Even for people who know God, when they lose focus of who God is, it's why we need these Isaiah 40s and the rest of the Bible and reviews. When we lose track of who God is, it can a shadow can come over our understanding of him and a little twisted thought and thoughts of God can intrude into our minds a darkness and the people's spiritual darkness and the work of Satan who's behind all this all the way from that serpent spawned a host of gods that man knelt before and worshiped images of men and birds and four-footed creatures and creeping things and all kinds of deities you know when we read through the bible we come across names of these gods <laughs> were any of them good were any of them kind were any of them like the the god of isaiah 40 We recognize the name Baal from Old Testament stories, Elijah on Mount Carmel, uh, and wicked Jezebel, her prophets of Baal. And human victims were offered to Baal. Jeremiah rebuked Judah and Jerusalem for building the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal in Jeremiah. Ashtoreth was a female deity commonly associated with with Baal. A gross immorality in in, uh, worship of Ashtoreth. Baal Peor, a god of the Moabites, worshiped with obscene rites. And in Psalm it says that the children of Israel joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. I don't know what all that was. Molech, the fire god of the children of Ammon. Uh, essentially the same thing as Chemosh, the uh, god of the Moabites, a god of the Moabites. And according to Jewish tradition, uh, well, what history has recorded is a little sketchy, but um, they offered children, babies, to Molech and Chemosh, and the image of Molech was made of brass, and the inside was hollow, and it had arms coming out with hands on it, and they would put a fire inside, it would be like a a furnace, a little furnace or stove, and they would put a living child on that, well, I understood it was living, a baby on, on, in those hands and it would quickly die in the heat and the flames and uh, it was consumed. Just terrible. In the New Testament, we read about Diana of the Ephesians, a uh, goddess of the Romans and Greeks, a pitiless, nasty, haughty, proud God And Jupiter, the supreme god of the heathen Greeks and Romans, had terrible character traits. And in reading uh, the uh, history of the Americas, the Aztecs and the Incas and the Mayans, those great Indian civilizations, human sacrifice was part of at least some of them. And there are still ruins of their, of their temples in Central and South America. In the uh, book by Don Richardson, The Lords of the Earth, set in New Zealand, it graphically describes the awful demands of the heathen gods and the consequences of a misstep or a broken rule And there's a a heart-rending account of a a young girl, I don't know, three, four years old, who in play had innocently wandered into a taboo area, a holy, in quotes, uh, area, and was caught there. And her family was pressured to to kill her as uh, uh, to, what's the word, to uh, appease the gods, the angry gods. And the mother and the father couldn't bear to think of throwing her off a cliff. And so an uncle agreed to do it, and it was about more than he could bear, as I remember. And he took her... uh, to the edge of the cliff and just... Threw her off the edge and she, the way I remember the picture described her just spinning and falling hundreds and hundreds of feet down into a rocky river, killed. Hinduism has many gods and a social caste system, but there's no compassionate, knowable God. The Muslims, uh, from the voice of the martyrs, there's this description that Allah is cold and distant. Some people say he's the same God as ours. He is not. He's a counterfeit, a terrible counterfeit. Nothing like our God, our Father, which art in heaven. Remember him hovering over the earth. Remember him forming man from the dust and fellowshipping with Adam and Eve in the garden. remember the psalmist in awe of a God who thought about Him when I consider Thy heavens, the work of Thy fingers, the moon and the stars which Thou hast ordained. What is man that Thou art mindful of Him? That, he would even, that this God would even pay attention to me, the Son of Man, that Thou visitest Him? That amazed the psalmist that God the Almighty, the creator of the universe, the all-knowing, all-powerful, the holy, holy, holy one, would be mindful of puny man, especially wayward man, stubborn man, and rebellious man. But he did, and he does. And it was more than God looking down and seeing David and saying, oh yeah, I remember him. That name kind of rings a bell. No, he. it was Jesus that taught us about the sparrows sold for a farthing. Little sparrows, little insignificant sparrows. And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father knowing. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. So he knew David. He knew about the curly locks. Often young David had curly locks in the pictures I've seen. I don't know if he did or not, but he knew his hair. And he knows ours. You remember Enoch? In Genesis it says... All the days of Enoch were 365 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, the scripture says, and he was not for God took him. Enoch walked with God. That's impressive. That impresses me about Enoch, for one, that he walked with God. He was close to God. But even more impressive, God walked with him. That's what should really impress us here. Imagine Balaam walking with God. That that doesn't fit. And Abraham knew God. It describes him in Isaiah as God's friend. The seed of Abraham, my friend. And in the New Testament, it speaks of Abraham believing God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You think any of the gods of Ur, of the Chaldees, were a friend to Abraham? No, God called Abraham out of that land of false gods. Moses was another uh, Old Testament saint who knew God and the Lord from Exodus 33. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Can you imagine Allah speaking to Moses as a friend? We have a God, we have the only true God, but we have a God like no other religion poses to have. No wonder in the song of Moses they sang, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises and doing wonders? David in his last years as an old man was praising God in 2 Samuel 7, breaking in at verse 20. And what can David say more unto thee? This breaks into his prayer. What can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart, thou hast done all these great things to make thy servant know them. You have done these wonderful things in a personal way for me. Wherefore, thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. And in Isaiah 64, I didn't look ahead to see whether we would study this later, but in uh, verses 4 and 5 of Isaiah 64, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. The next verse says, you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Then he speaks of the anger of God toward Israel because they had sinned and were living in sin. In, for we have sinned and in these ways we continue and we need to be saved is the way the New King James says, says it. Some other translations make it as a question and who will save us and the answer is the answer is only god micah praise god who is a god like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage these are old testament scriptures, and then uh, after the dark, the dark years, the, uh, what do we call them, Uh, the 400 years, uh, uh, something that sounds a little more dark, right, Uh, the silent years, I, I think that's right, anyway, it was quiet, and then Jesus came. Jesus came, and and Hebrews says that God, who had spoken in many ways through nature and through prophets in the Old Testament, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. The Word made flesh who dwelt among us, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, we just saw last month, which being interpreted is God with us. Remember the creator God who made Adam of clay. God formed the second Adam in the womb of his mother Mary, the Christ child, the Messiah come to earth for us in the form of a servant, in the likeness of men. And he came to show to us God in a more full way. And he said to the disciples, as the Father loved me, I love you. So you can understand, this isn't part of the verse, but So the disciples could understand as they walked with Jesus and as they watched Jesus and saw his love and compassion for people, they could understand that that's how the Father loves me, that's how God loves me. Many times, uh, Jesus is described as having compassion on the crowds, the people. (coughs) In Matthew 9, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Uh, Fainted there being weary and lying down. They, They couldn't go anymore. He was as a shepherd to them. <coughs> when he fed the 5,000, Jesus saw the great multitude and he was moved with, great com- with compassion toward them. And he not only fed them, he healed their sick. And when he fed the 4,000, he said, I have compassion on the multitude. When the two blind men came to him, Jesus had compassion on them. And touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed him. And when he met the widow of Nain. Following in front of her dead son. The Lord saw her. And he had compassion on her. And he said to her. Weep not. And he raised her son to life again. And he told a story. To describe the father. The story of the prodigal son describes the father when he saw the prodigal coming a great way off, way off yet. The father saw him and he had compassion and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Showing us the love and compassion of the heavenly father. And Jesus didn't just come to show us in everyday life how the father loves us. He came to redeem us. Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus was criticized for being a friend of publicans and sinners. He wasn't bashful about associating with them. He was a friend to them. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we sing that song about the ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills away. The song is based on Jesus' story of the lost sheep that's told in Matthew 18 and Luke 15. Now do you think that Baal, do you think that Baal would have gone out into the hills away searching for a strayed and lost sheep to rescue it and show compassion to it? To be merciful to it? Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You read of any other gods in history that offered themselves a sacrifice for their worshipers? I don't think you'll ever find one. He came to save us. And he hears our cries for help and helps us. The psalmist said in Psalm 18, Verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him, even to his ears. And in Psalm 34, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. He gives gifts, good gifts. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. And he taught us good precepts that are for our good and for our blessing. These things have I spoken unto you. These things that I have taught you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. The teachings of the false gods are cruel, not the least that they steer people away, or like was said in our Sunday school lesson this morning, they, even the distractions of, of the West's idolatry of things or distractions from, from God and from trusting in God and from salvation through Christ. That's Satan's design. What, what do we really need? What do we really need? Those things that we really need are the things that God supplies. He is the God That we need. I'll read a few verses here. That kind of caught my attention. A month ago or so. Now may the God. Sort of. uh, Doxologies I guess you could say. Now may the God of patience and comfort. uh, A description of God. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need the God, this God of patience and comfort who can help us in personal relationships. That's in Romans 15, verse 5 and 6. It, a little further down in that chapter, in verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I need that. And he is a God of hope. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I need the God of peace who through Christ has made a way for me to be at peace with Him. And in Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, now may the God of peace who brought up our lord jesus from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well pleasing in his sight through jesus christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen and then one more from first peter verse 5 i'm sorry chapter 5 verse 10 But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I need all those things. And this is the God that can do those things. And there are many more. And he offers us a future hope. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. We're familiar with that. Does any other God offer that? Have you ever read of any other God that offers that, a place of bliss with him? There are perversions. Uh, Islam promises a paradise and others promise some kind of life After death, we know those are all false promises. Would any of the false gods uh, want their worshipers to be with them? Would any of the worshipers really want to be with the gods that they're afraid of and that they're terrified of? We read about God being a friend to Moses, God being a friend to Abraham. We noticed how God walked with Enoch. We (laughs) noticed how God had fellowship with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God is a friend. What an amazing God. Can God be my friend? That would be wonderful, it is wonderful, to know God as a friend. But that's a question, is God my friend? Would God call me his friend like he did Abraham? God is approachable. You know, some people are more bashful and shy and a little difficult to get to know. And um, you feel a little awkward trying to start a conversation. Some people do better than that at others. But uh, God is approachable. God is very approachable. We have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, all the things that we go through. He understands them. He sympathizes with us. Let us therefore come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, you meet somebody, you like them, and you're gone apart, and you, but you haven't really gotten to know them. It takes a little time generally to learn to know someone. It takes time to uh, maintain a relationship. But God is approachable and He does His part. James tells us in chapter 4 verse 8, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. If we approach God, He will more than Do his part. The rest of that verse says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So I think this relationship with God begins with, uh, like the publican in the temple who was beating his chest, beating his breast in the anguish of his guilt and crying out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But then it continues and grows with the attitude that Paul had, that I may know him in Philippians 3. And so we read our Bibles and we meditate on what God says. And you know, uh, we, we, we are past that point of where God is something we read about in the Bible, but we know that we are His children and we know He is real and we know that He wants to speak to us and we know that His Spirit lives in us and we God is real. And God is living. and God is personal in our hearts. And so when we read the Bible and we're thinking about that and we talk to Him in our prayers and we walk, to, we walk with Him learning and obeying. And we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. To you, We think about that promise. Uh, Simon Schrock, he told me this one time, that when he was a young man, uh, he made this a life goal to seek first the kingdom of God and to every day Commit himself to follow that call and to make choices with that goal in his mind. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Enoch walked with God. In Hebrews it says that he pleased God. Enoch pleased God. He had this testimony that he pleased God. He pleased God because he lived his faith. He lived what God God taught him. He lived what he knew was right. He lived uh, in a way that was pleasing to God because he loved God and worshipped Him in his heart, in his life. When I look out across this group, I see people that are friends of God, if you don't feel like you're a friend of God this morning, or if you're not sure, uh, be assured we can be. And it is true, there are many people who to whom God is a stranger, even an enemy. And when Christ returns, they'll be terrified. They'll be among those that it describes in Revelation as crying out to the mountains and rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They are not God's friends. If God is only an acquaintance of yours, uh, you'll want to work on that relationship. And God bless you. And if you are a friend of God, And God is a dear friend to you today. Uh, Continue that journey. God will bless you. You know, in thinking of this message this morning and um, sharing it here, I, I wasn't concerned that any of you would be drawn into the worship of Molech. But... Uh, As was said this morning, I think, in our Sunday school class, that, you know, all the false philosophies and thinking and religions, all the idols and idolatry in the world, they're all under the authorship and inspiration of the devil, of of Satan, the evil and cruel God of this world. We want to be impressed and awed by how wonderful God is and how worthy of our worship and to be more grateful and more devoted to him. That is, that is my prayer for myself and for all of us. And when we say, who is like unto thee, O Lord? It means more to us every time we say it. Who is like unto thee? O Lord. I think that David, when he penned his Psalms and said words like that of praise to God, I think they were sincere. They came from a sincere heart that knew God. But that old man David that we read a few verses from, who was praising God. He saw more and understood more and adored more and was more devoted than the shepherd in the pasture. And that's, that's the walk with the Lord that we want to follow And that's the walk with the Lord that will enrich us and bless us and strengthen us. And that's the walk with the Lord that will be a testimony to others around us and an encouragement to our fellow believers and to God be the glory.